Hey, hey. Hi, Migs. Hey, Shelly. Welcome back, listeners, to another edition of Cream City Dreams, the podcast where we bring incredible Milwaukee women who are living their dream. Today on the podcast, listeners, uh, oh. we have Anne Basting. Wow. She is a remarkable, creative, culture-shifting, joy-making, community-building person. Our favorite kind of person. Yeah, And she's doing it on a national level. You know, that's just so... Milwaukee, we are so lucky to have her, have had her for so long. Spoiler alert, she's leaving. I know, she's leaving. And I'm so sad that I only just now had a chance to meet her because... Boy, was this conversation inspiring. Ann Basting is the founder of Time Slips and so much more, uh, which we'll talk about with her in the interview. But Time Slips is an organization that revolves around creative engagement with our elders and bringing meaning and purpose into their lives to the very end. It's about imagination, creativity, joy, all of the things we need more of in this world. But she's not really leaving. She's going to be doing a series of round trip tickets or round trip trips, right? Yeah, she'll be back. She'll be back. We haven't seen the last of Ann Basting. And for those of you who don't know about her, you are definitely going to want to check out the links that we have in our show notes so that you can find out more about what she does and how you can take advantage of what she and her organization through Time Slips offers. Listen to this episode if you want to feel empowered for moving into territory that's scary, mm. <laughs> like helping somebody with dementia yeah. or facing your own mortality. Hard topics that don't always have to be joyless. Right. We all know people. What did she say? 6.7 million people living with dementia. So if you don't know somebody, you will. And this work is is important. Mm. Combining grief, creativity, joy, it can all coexist. Well, and as she mentions, like this is work that you can do with anybody in any important relationship in your life. <sighs> it's beautiful. Beautiful. I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you, Milwaukee. So here you go. Here you go. And basting. Well, today on our show, listeners, we have Anne Basting. And I am, I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this interview for a really long time. I think I found out about your work when I moved here in 2008, but a little later you were in the Milwaukee Magazine as I can't remember what the title was, something about the top creatives in the city and all of the, I've just been following your career and I'm so sorry that it's taken so long to actually make this introduction. Um, but we are super excited to have you today. And I, you know, I have your bio and we only have an hour and I think it would take me an hour if I, if I read this whole <laughs> bio out loud. So I just, I'm going to do the TLDR uh, version of it, which is that you are a writer, an artist, an advocate, a playwright, a professor, a nonprofit founder, an author, a MacArthur Genius Fellow, and a recipient of numerous other fellowships uh, and awardee of lots and lots of grants, uh, a director. I think you might be the first guest that we've had that has her own Wikipedia page. Holy cow. 
But the one that I thought I had to chuckle at when I was doing some background research is the headline from the AARP article about you that said, woman uses improv to bring joy to people with dementia. And I just thought (laughs) it sounded like an onion headline. (laughs) But also, I I was going to ask, does that boil? Is that kind of sum up what you do? And, And if it doesn't, for our listeners who might not be familiar with your work, can you sum up the bio of who you are and what you do? Uh, can I, huh? <laughs> you know, this is where, this is where I always like keep my husband next to me because like, I, I have this forever fear of being at a dinner party and someone says, what do you do? And I freeze because I can't do it. I can't do it succinctly. Um, first of all, it's great to be here. I love what you're doing. And, um, uh, you know, building community and essentially at the root of what I do, I use, creative engagement to build community. Mm. Um, I kind of spark people's and inspire people's belief in their own innate creativity Mm -hmm. and then invite them to use it to bridge and build. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the simplest way. I feel like sometimes, you know, have you ever heard that book? Like everything I learned about life, I learned in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. I feel like mine would be, and maybe I should write this as the next book. Everything I learned about life, I learned in a, a locked Alzheimer's unit. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I just, that's where all this work started. And, yeah. but then, and it's taken me a long time to realize it just applies to every relationship in your life. Like mm. every, every encounter you have with any human being or land or animal, like, you know, it's just a way of being. And um, I think sometimes the work gets, it, it is true. It happens to work with people with either mild or severe cognitive challenges, but it's just, it's just what I said. It's just inspiring and inviting people's confidence in their own creativity and creative skills. And then using, inviting people to use that to bridge and build. Mm. You know, there's something, the thing that that comes to mind for me is you had the ability to see that even people with memory loss have the dignity of being able to remain creative and generative. That's such a courageous and respectful (laughs) approach. I I mean, it's no wonder that 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 has exploded because it's such a genius thing. I think it's one of those things like early in one of the first time slips plays, we were looking for a tagline and we said, creativity where you where you least expect it or yeah. you didn't think it was possible right and then you realize oh i didn't think that was possible i'm not even trying that as a technique and then people try it and they go oh my god i've found my mother again or yeah. i found this person again and and it's like it's such a a simple tool and it's mm. a simple tool anybody can use Um, Mm -hmm. so, and, and I will also just say I stumbled into it. I was like everyone else. Like, do you remember, what do you remember about your childhood? Tell me about Christmas, like what going into the senses, but really trying to tap memory and just meeting so much failure. And then like realizing, okay, let's just dramatically try something different. Let's just make shit up, you know, let's just make (laughs) stuff up. Mm-hmm. Um, because memory is the problem 
And why am I going there to try to exercise and heal something that's part of a, a clearly a chronic condition that is only going to get worse? So why don't we exercise something that is going to stay and you can, it's a, and it's an existing strength that stays all the way to the end. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the other like pop culture reference that I think a lot about, um, mm. which might be a little, uh, off-putting, but you know, in Monty Python, um, and the Holy Grail, when they're like, uh, bring out your dead and, and the guy on the cart says, I'm not dead yet. And I'm like, <laughs> I feel like that's my, that's my motto. You know, we're not dead yet. We, <laughs> we, we have the capacity for expression and emotion and love and giving and all. So it's like creative meaning making is possible all the way to the end. Yeah. All the way to the end. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Is there one for listeners who, again, might not be as familiar with the work? Is there, and I should say too, we're going to link all, like there's so much out there about what you do and videos and, and stories, which I love. And I encourage our, our listeners to go click on those and find them. But is there one story that for you exemplifies kind of what Time Slips does that would help our listeners understand what what you mean by this? There's There's the story I've told probably 10,000 times, which is, <laughs> well, feel free to tell a different one if you don't yeah, want to tell yeah, that yeah. one. <laughs> I mean, and I'll try to do a short version because you can go out there and like, if you research the, ter- like Google the terms of it, it'll come up like me telling this story a thousand times, 10,000 times. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, first time on that it worked is essentially the, the time on the locked Alzheimer's unit when I'd been trying the reminiscence approach. And I just was like, I, this is not working. So I brought, just brought in a sketch pad and I tore out a picture from a magazine and it was, I don't know, I'm a li- like, I come, my grandmother grew up on a ranch in Montana. So I have a, a thing for icons of cowboys. And so I just pulled a, a picture of the Marlboro man, which was just that profile with the, you know, the hat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, let's make up a story. What do you want to, what do you want to call the guy? (laughs) And truly people had not been participating because they were drugged. It was chaotic in the, in the common room. It was just a terrible setting. And someone said, Fred, I was like, oh, God bless you. (laughs) And so I just repeated everything they said, Fred, Fred who? And then another person said, Fred Astaire. And I'm like, yes, this is Fred Astaire. (laughs) I love it. We have Fred Astaire. Where do you want to say he lives? And someone said Oklahoma. And then another person started singing, oh, Oklahoma, where the wind goes. And I'm like, this is revelatory. Jackpot, uh, yes. They feel safe mm-hmm. to say, to contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can, the, you know, the, the idea that when you ask someone with dementia a specific question, Here's a great one. Do you remember me? That's a terrible mm. question to ask. Mm. <laughs> it's a terrible question at a cocktail party to ask anyone. Like, right, like, right. And um, and if that pathway is probably blocked, you know, chances are. Mm. But if you ask them an open-ended, imagination-based question, there are a thousand pathways, and so the chance of being able to respond 
Um, and to use your humor to respond, to use your thoughtfulness, whatever emotion is at play, you can find something to respond to. And then over the years, we realize it's not even just words because some people don't have words or mm. sometimes words aren't the best thing. So mm-hmm. sounds or movements or any of that. And then then I, when it worked, I just did it over and over and over and over every time I went to visit and volunteer. And um, I just started honing this. I, I was just echoing people. It felt like a little rolling wave of response and echo and building of a story. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, we had this, you know, the end felt like the end. Whenever it feels like the end from everyone's energy Um, I would repeat the story and we'd sing the songs again and we'd laugh and people just felt like what we just made this thing together. And it was, it had that bridging and bonding um, Mm -hmm. feeling uh, as well. So then it was just like 25 years of replicating it over and over and over in every setting, in every context. I mean, because, you know, when you're doing evidence-based work, you have to prove it if it worked in a locked Alzheimer's unit, well, would it work at home? Mm-hmm. Would it work by phone? Would it work in adult day? Would it work in meal delivery? Would it work, you know, and you have in to- a boat with a goat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so you just have to keep testing it and adapting it. And mm-hmm. that's been a rich, a rich, rich thing to do. And then of course I adapt it and use it at the dinner table with my children, you know, for yeah. 15, 21 years. So, yeah, so I, I was thinking as I was reading your book, how much, um, as you were saying before, like this really would work with my tweens too. Like they need some of these beautiful questions at the dinner table too. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Well, and even I'm thinking about the neuroscience that we know now about how people pick up on, on our energy like even if they're not um, verbal, mm-hmm. people can sense your energy. And so oh, yeah. it, it makes total sense why a person in cognitive decline would shut down if somebody is frustrated because they're not getting anywhere, <laughs> right? With questions or with, you know, or even if they're dealing with their own loss and their own sense of grief around that. And every question the person can't answer just brings that up. You know, it makes sense that the person's feeling that and and then having their own feelings, like whatever that is, anxiety or. Well, think if you think about it this way, if you had a chronic progressive condition that manifested in how you were able to express and speak. And that every time someone asked you a question, it felt like you were being asked to display or perform, or you were at risk of performing your disability or, and that if you express that, there can be real life ramifications. You might get moved to another unit, right? You might lose a friend because they're scared of you. Mm-hmm. Or you might offend them in some mm-hmm. way you can't mm-hmm. figure out because you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth. Right. And there are real tangible uh, outcomes for performing your illness. Mm-hmm. And so you edit yourself into silence. And yep. so then you get isolated, people drop off, you it's like a totally disorienting experience. And mm-hmm. and the same can happen for caregivers. That's why they don't talk yep. about it. 
because yeah. people stop. They don't know how to be in company mm-hmm. with uh, a person like this. And that, that to me is one of the things that I feel really proud of is like, here's some really simple tools mm-hmm. to be in company. You don't have to stop being a friend. You don't have to stop being um, a loving spouse or neighbor or child or you don't have to stop doing that um, because of this condition. You can maintain emotional intimacy and support and all the way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it can be joyful and connecting. Like you can actually, I mean, I think part of the, part of what I think is really, I can't wait to experiment with this and my own, with my own personal connections of people who have memory loss, that idea, like sometimes like I'll go with the flow when somebody isn't present, but sometimes it feels like it's empty, you know? And then, and then you, you feel the emptiness of it. But if, but if there's like a creative end, like let's build this story together, you know, like that, that to me feels like it's a curated way to make shit up, but not for the, but for a, like a purpose, like you're doing something together. Am I getting it right? Like, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's reorienting because oftentimes the approach is you are sick. I'm going to come and do it. They even use the language of intervention, right? Mm-hmm. I am going to execute this intervention upon you yep. and it will be good for you. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is the, you know, we talk about the beautiful questions, opening up a shared path of discovery. So it takes it from, and I love, I love Liz Lerman. Liz Lerman has done a lot of similar work before I did and was a great model. And she talks about turning the, the vertical into the horizontal. So if the power dynamic is the carer and the cared for, you turn it on its side so that you're both being creative. You're both, you're just opening the process mm-hmm. and, and sort of improvising and feeding the process, but you're both discovering and you're, you're equals in this process that's meaning making and, and purpose driven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. Yeah. Well, and it's really just about being human. Like you said, like, like even using this on ourselves, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, like when we are sure we know the thought that we're believing is real and it's making our life miserable, you know, like, oh, okay, maybe I can play with this thought. Like, this is the process, right? <laughs> of, of um, just learning how to be a, a, a human who's having a better experience. Yeah. I mean, I did. It's funny because I went through, um, I'm going through a lot of transitions at the moment. um, And I was like, you know, what are the questions that all those life coaches use? And I like did some Google research. Like, what do do they ask? I was like, oh, I know these. (laughs) So (laughs) That's funny you say that. I was just thinking that like, that it's essentially the coaching process. I'm coach. And it's it's the coaching process of, of believing that the person has the answers inside of them. And we can just find, find yep. with with safe presence and great questions, we can yep. find the answer together. And it is a hundred percent. Every relationship makes it improves every relationship. Yep. Yeah. And it's I think the one part of it is like having the audacity to believe that people have it inside them to believe in yep. people. So that's a genius move on your part to know that even people in cognitive decline have value that you know and and can make meaning till the end is such a beautiful and hopeful thing well I think it was easy in some ways because in that first session their answers were so funny 
and Mm -hmm. so thoughtful Mm -hmm. and so clearly in tuned with each other in the moment in these really subtle and interesting ways that showed so much emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. that, I mean, you can, you can't ignore that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm curious. So I I know the, um, the Marlboro man story and the time with your, was it your grandma Alice Mm -hmm. back in her, her assisted living or nursing home? Those were kind of the obvious inciting incidents that got you on this path. But I'm wondering if they're where this dream came from. I don't know. Did it start earlier than that? Um, I think, I mean, the way you started the bio is you're an artist and a writer. And that started super early. Um, How you apply that, like, you know, it, it just feels to me like how I apply it. This is how I apply it, but that's essentially still what I am. You know, sixth grade, I have a vivid memory. We had one of those great, you know, 70s experiential learning grade school teachers. (laughs) And (laughs) I just fell in love with fiction writing. And um, I just keep, you know, that's what I still do. Even after the first, that first round of volunteering which was like six months after the the Marlboro with the Marlboro man incident. Um, I had like 20 stories that came out of it. And it was funny because I, I had just finished my PhD. And when I was in grad school, I was also an active playwright and producing work, shaping work, and then doing the dissertation and, um, you know, on the side and, (laughs) I went to my friend who had directed a bunch of my work and I said, what do I do with these stories? My God, they're so, I feel like I have treasure and I don't know what to do with them. And she's like, are you daft? Write a play with the, mm. <laughs> to show the world that they've created and to give that feeling of that unexpectedness of creativity. And it's such a rich, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah. So that's what I did. So the the combination of sort of the theorizing of the work from the PhD, you know, scholar analysis stuff, and then the uh, the teacher part was actually setting up the replicable curriculum to teach other people to do this, and then the artist part was using what came out and shaping something that other people could value and experience and feel because, you know, the, the, uh, you know, those big fat, ugly words of ageism and ableism, but we're afraid to see for whatever reason, we block ourselves from seeing the possibility of this Mm. for, you know, there's lots of theories I wrote about. I've written about terror management where, you know, we block out late life because we're just scared of it and what, Mm -hmm. you know, dying and, disability and uh, powerlessness and meaninglessness and all that stuff. So we block ourselves from seeing this possibility. So to me, the best way is to invite people to feel it. Mm. Because when people feel it, they let go of that fear a little bit. Um, Mm. So that that's where I think the art making is really helpful because you invite people into the the experiential world of those emotions and those connections. And then people are like, oh, and then they can't really explain. Like, I I remember 
it was a little overwhelming. The Penelope performance that we did at Luther Manor. God, it was like, I don't even remember, 2011 now. And after the the choral climax, like there was a big chorus of anyone who wanted to play Penelope was on the stage. And they did this beautiful welcoming home uh, physical and and calling of of Odysseus and welcoming him home. And it was definitely also welcoming the audience, you know, by extension. Mm. And into this, it was staged in the chapel at Luther Manor. And so it had this like uh, ethereal, mythic, spiritual feeling as well. And here were all these people with profound disabilities, family members, staff members on the stage doing this welcoming ritual. And people just sobbed uncontrollably mm. um it was i was i was actually like oh uh is that too did we make this too much is it too? <laughs> but people were just like this was the most beautiful experience of my life and and i had to sorry i couldn't participate in the post talk i had to go and weep in my car you know <laughs> <laughs> but i would yeah. you know it was it was incredible so um that's what i mean like the the emotional, the art helps you process and experience the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. And it turns out we we can handle hard emotions, but we spend a lot of time avoiding it or pushing it away. Well, and that's another one of the, the, the glitches in the bias is that we think growth stops at us. Yeah. We focus on education like we sort of say lifelong learning, but we don't really mean it, you know, you're Mm -hmm. totally right. Yeah. But to me, the learning and adjustment and resilience you need as losses and challenges accumulate in late life and caregiving is tremendous. To me, it's like this burst of a learning phase that people totally discount. And that's what we don't allow ourselves to do. If we block the emotion and the thoughts about it, we're blocking off all of that learning and growth that's possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you mentioned that you're facing some transitions of your own, (laughs) and this is a podcast about dreams and women who dream in Milwaukee. Um, And so I'm curious, the transition that you're looking at, is it a part of your own dream for yourself, for your family? Like, how is that fitting into the dream for your life? Um, I would say it's a, it's a trend. It's, it's a transition. How do I even, I, you know, this is, this is first pass conversation around this because it's it here first listeners <laughs> yeah <laughs> other than sort of internal with friends and and close friends and family it's you know uh the unit of of my family my husband we had, we moved here from new york hmm. i was recruited here uh to be the founding director of the center on age and community which ran for about 10 years and then i went back to the um went to the theater department and now I'm in the English department. So, um, you know, Brad's a filmmaker and we were like, well, maybe we'll last three to five years. Cause I don't know how long Brad can be a filmmaker in a city that has really no independent, no real industry Now, people might get uh, people who are filmmakers here might not like that, but there's no consistent industry where people can make their independent living 
from that. They can do commercials and, you know, things like that. But doing feature length fiction or documentary is, you know, there's not much here. Um, Mm -hmm. So how long could he do that? Um, Well, clearly it's been 20 years. So he (laughs) he found a way to do it. But then when he won, he won an Emmy a couple of like two years ago, which was exceptional. The nat, you know, national Emmy, not not regional, and for exceptional merit in documentary. So I'm just going to brag on that. Yeah, and, heck like, yeah. And and he had really exhausted himself trying to grow a company where, in order to do it, you know, train up and maintain and hire full time because people couldn't, there's no other film industry here for people to work and put gigs together. Mm. And it was just, the strain was just too much. And, um, and it was, it was hard and, you know, um, fraught and for him to really grow his company, we had to pick a place to move and, you know, when to move and a place to move. And so a lot of family thinking went in and bless his heart. He looked at every single neighborhood over a process of like two years in Los Angeles and came home from the lab because he does a lot of work out there. And he came home from the lab from a trip and he said, well, I've decided you can't live. You won't be happy anywhere (laughs) in Los Angeles. And I was like, I probably could have told you that, but thank you for so diligently (laughs) looking at every neighborhood. I I have requirements like I have to run, I have to, you know, otherwise I'll just stay in the house and, you know, quickly turn agoraphobic and Mm -hmm. (laughs) flip over. And um, so we, we wanted to go where we had family and where we already had some base built. Cause I do think realistically, it is really hard to rebuild, to, to build friendships Mm -hmm. post children later in life. You know, it's just hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. so it was New York or, or Atlanta and we've, we still go to New York all the time anyway. And I'm also much more dependent. Like my creativity is triggered by being able to run and mm-hmm. having nature. Um, mm-hmm. and so I said, if we go to New York, I want to live up the Hudson. He's like, no, he's <laughs> 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 no. it. He's it. His creativity is sparked by the rhythm of the city, boom, 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 yeah. boom, um, which drives me crazy. So, so we had to find a way. And so that decision this is a long answer to your question, which is um, it's, it's Atlanta. Um, mm. And I have been at the university for 25 years. And I remembered first I was panicked, like what I don't know myself as anything other than an academic. And then I remembered what was it? It was like, I moved after I got my undergrad, I moved to the Pacific Northwest for two years. And when I was out there trying to figure out what to do next, I was like, I want to be a writer. But I know I probably, especially these weird plays that I write, which I write weird plays. (laughs) And I love writing weird plays and, you know, fiction and screenplays and things, um, I'm probably not going to be able to earn a living. So why don't I teach to be able to support that? And I kind of forgot that. And now I'm like, oh, I did that for 25 years. I did stabilize and create a base from which I can be creative. 
and now I'm just, now it's this time when I just get to be creative. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, that's going to be incredible. Mm -hmm. So it's a little daunting, but you know, I already, I have like, honestly, I already have like five projects, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I've got a huge project I'm working on to grow memory cafes, which Mm -hmm. are informal support um, and kind of gatherings of people who don't have the infrastructure of residential care. Um, They're living at home for whatever reason. You can't afford it. You can't access residential care. There isn't high quality care near you or culturally you're just you know, we don't do that. I'm going to stay at home and care. My, like the family is going to stay at home. So there's 900 memory cafes in the country Mm. Um, for some odd reason. Well, it's easy. The reason is clear. I just added a zero. I was like, we're going to grow these from 900 to 9,000. And, and even when you do the numbers on that, if they serve 50 people each, it's not, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the 6.7 million people experiencing dementia in the country. So but that's a big project that's underway. I'm in a year of planning for that. Um, and then I'm writing grants to support the creative care ensemble uh, mm-hmm. under the time slips umbrella to create a performance form, use like doing a sample play and that we find a structure that enables us to take it to memory cafes. Because the challenge is memory cafes usually meet once a month for mm-hmm. 90 minutes. And so the, and the attendance is kind of un, un, unreliable, inconsistent. Mm. So how do you create a really beautiful participatory performance form that could fit those restrictions? That's a huge puzzle. And that's, that's what we're trying to do based on the story of the little prince. So we're going to use just pull some archetypal themes from it. And then we're proposing to work with um, a memory cafe that's bilingual in Milwaukee, a cafe uh, or gathering of people up in a very rural northern county that has no residential care at all. There isn't one in the county Mm. and Green Bay. Um, and then potentially, hopefully the Oneida nation as well has a memory cafe and Mm -hmm. then we'll culminate. I just am polishing the grant right now. That's why it's so fresh in my head in a collaboration in a residency with the John Michael Kohler art center. We'll, Mm -hmm. we'll turn all that into a touring production and, and premiere it there, um, Mm -hmm. in at the end of 2025. So even though you know, we're making this big move and I'm retiring from academia and I'm, I'm back and forth for projects. Time slips will stay grounded here. You know, my family's here. Um, So So you're leaving, but you're not really leaving. (laughs) Sort of leaving. Brad's really leaving. You know, I'm sort of leaving and, um, and opening up to a new creative, like, I don't, I'm really thrilled like what am I going to do am I going to am I going to write a novel I don't know am I going to you know yeah so I don't know Mm -hmm. it's just falling into writing and and the creative practice and I can feel it expanding and sort of trusting you know I've been getting other people to trust their creativity and I'm trying to do that myself yeah oh that's That's exciting totally dreamy yeah yeah a little scary (laughs) yeah yeah it it reading your book it just all sounded so 
hopeful and so joyful. And I wondered if sort of a two-part question on that. A, does it feel like you've ever worked a day in your life? Because it just seems like so joyful with what you do. But also knowing realistically that that I'm sure it's been there have been hard times and sort of how did you keep going through the through the hard times? What kept you motivated? What who supported you? What supported you? Um, I feel like joy is a framework, you know, mm. and it's just it's one that I don't know, maybe it's innate. I just feel very lucky to have it. Um, I. <laughs> Uh, an example is like, I, God, it started maybe, when was that, um, what did they call the polar vortex? Do you remember the first one that came through like eight years ago yeah. or something? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, I've got to get outside or I'll go crazy. So I was like, I'm going to take a picture of the lake every day. So I just would strap on yak tracks and my crazy running outfit and I would go running and I would pull off my fingertip gloves and take a picture (laughs) of the lake just to like track, force myself to do it. And that has become so joyful for me through it makes bitter cold that other people like you can feel it dragging you inward and shutting you down. And I'm like, no, I got to get to the lake because it's so pretty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Winter is so much more interesting at the lake. Summer is kind of boring. It's just blue, right? And <laughs> waves and lapping and blue sky. But um, winter, the variety is crazy. Mm. Every day is different. And the light hits it all different. And it's incredible. So I feel like I try to do that. Um, and therefore, like, even when you're sitting in an unbearable meeting, <laughs> <laughs> I I kind of bring a little bit of that, you know, like what's inside of this moment? Um, mm-hmm. How can I unlock this moment? And so it feels more like an attitude and a framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's the, maybe that's what an artist is. I don't know. Is that mm. what an artist is? Um, where you're you're kind of looking for beauty everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I feel really lucky in that. The problem with that is that I also tend to then put up with things that block where my energy could flow because I I'm like, Oh, but there's beauty there. But I'm like, Oh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't <laughs> be doing that. Even if there's beauty there. Right. Like it mm-hmm. it's, makes a challenge in prioritizing when mm-hmm. you have that. I don't know if it's Pollyanna or if it's just really thankful that I have that, that silver lining addiction. And um, I've called it a silver lining addiction before, but Mm. Um, I love that. So I think I'll tell you what, I've never worked harder than the last two months in doing my work at the Center for 21st Century Studies, which I love my teaching, which I love my the time slips work, which I love these multiple grant projects, which I love um, tending to my family, which I love. Uh preparing a house for sale, which I don't love. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to do all of it simultaneously. And that's been really hard, but it feels like we're heading toward, you know, something that'll shift and change. Mm. And how are you seeing? So, I mean, you've been at this 25 years. um, And, you know, what I love about this, your story too, is that a lot of times people think dreams happen overnight. You know, you see them on the the 
billboards and social media and the newspaper. We we hear about the overnight ones, but this has been a 25 year project for you over, you know, step by step and echo by echo, as you were talking about earlier. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, do you see it? Are you hopeful with where this is going? Are you hopeful that, you know, maybe we won't be alive to see it, but like in a hundred years, do you think it will be different? Are you, do you, does it feel like the trajectory of what you've started? I tell you what, I feel like I've been the, the same wave that I've been on for 25 years. This week, there was a summit at the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts, which was all about the integration of the arts into health and social care. And I'm like, the arts mm. are good for uh, our community health. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. I, I, I've seen glimmers of this before, but it feels like a threshold. Mm-hmm. And I've been working part of this whole memory cafe thing. It feels possible. But like, I'm not just saying 900 to 9,000, it's really possible. Mm-hmm. And that though the arts can be integrated into them. Mm-hmm. Um, every library, this is my vision, every library, every arts and culture institution should have a memory cafe. They should just offer programming for families with dementia because they're practically normal. Like 6.7 million people live with dementia. Let's just make programming yes. for them. Yes. Um, there's a group called, there's a, a company that I've been following and really fascinated by called Art Pharmacy, which is the the software that links the arts and culture sector and the healthcare prescribing sector. Mm. And you now they're saying it doesn't, it doesn't have to be therapy. There are therapeutic benefits from just plain old arts and culture that are already happening. And we've known that for a long time, but we haven't had the language or the research or the software, frankly, to to link it. And now, and that's, it's happening. And it's really, really happening. And the, the way I describe it is what I see is somewhere in the late 18th century, we set up these separate monuments, these monoliths, these buildings. One was called the Smithsonian Art Museum and Institute and one was called the first hospital outside of Philadelphia. And we've separated arts, culture, and health and social care into these, you know, we have to, we human beings have to like, oh, we have to separate, manage, mm-hmm. silo. Mm-hmm. And it's been since then this slow, gradual, how do we get these things back together? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I feel like we're at a moment where they're really close and they're mm-hmm. starting meaningful integration. Uh, really meaningful integration where it's really possible. And this feeling of sort of an emptying up. And this is why it's so particularly bad for older adults, because some reason, for some reason, you cross the threshold of like 65 random number and you're there's this giant sucking sound and you get like sucked into the medical system. And that is the only place for your life to have any meaning it is that is where we all we all just talk about our medical conditions. It's like that's it. Mm-hmm. So arts and culture has to catch up and like become a place that's integrated and crack that open and collaborate. And it's and it's happening. It's really mm-hmm. really fascinating. Mm-hmm. That generosity is continuing for the evolution of time slips because I'm like who after 25 years, what organizations large national partners, can we just license this to? That'll enable us to reach millions of people. Whereas we could keep doing this 
Mm-hmm. And but that will immediately reach our mission by licensing yeah. it instead of trying to run it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. What we're good at is innovation and thought leadership and consulting. And that's that's what we're gonna do. Um mm-hmm. So that's that's that transition too, and I I see such beautiful possibilities from those large scale systems collaboration and consulting and coaching kind of things. Yeah, there's just a bunch brewing that are so thrilling. Ah, uh, that's so exciting. I do have to say, selfishly, I was um, sad when I went because I'm like, okay, sign me up. I need to. Get, I want this training, but it said we're not offering individual training anymore. So if there are listeners like me who who are just really want to get involved, who want to be a part of this fearless movement into later in life, how do we do this? How do we get in touch there with is- our resources? One of the free resources that we offer, and that this training is, is available, is the family and friends, mm. which is like the simplest version of just like how do you infuse because people people block their own creativity. How do you open your own creativity and infuse it into relationships, mm. um, particularly with people with cognitive challenges? That's free and available, and that we're in conversations with AARP to license it to them. And mm. my God, that the video they did of me like had two million hits. I can't even imagine. We've had that free training on our website for two years. Licensing it to them is just going to open that up to so many more people. The individual training we're talk talking about doing two things. One is sort of keeping everyone's emails who's who've asked about it, and then just opening it in a cohort to have everyone Mm. doing it together and also potentially licensing it to another um, group that's doing uh, similar work who can run the training, whereas it's tough for us to do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to put my email in there then (laughs) so I can get in that cohort. (laughs) That, and there's the, the creative care imagination kit, which um, is sort of a do it yourself um, with Mm. beautiful questions and image prompts and a little journal I can't tell you how many people are like, well, you d- just put this in a box for me. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> we did this long project, Andrew Morton, who's great uh, from the time slips team in Detroit. And I co-designed it with um, people, family caregivers and people living with dementia in Detroit. And, um, and then Harper Collins uh, published it. So it's the creative care imagination kit, which goes with, you can get them separately, but there's the book. And then there's the kit. Okay. Okay. And that can be found on, on time slips website. People can link to that or any store anywhere. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. This is amazing. I'm, I, I want to, one of the, um, one of the things I really appreciated about learning, my parents are 88 and in, in assisted living. And my mom yesterday, my, my mom's was on the, their Facebook page for, Thing she painted, you know, like a, they like they had a painting activity, you know, and um, I, I what I really appreciated was like a lot of times the images that I get from their assisted living are of them being entertained and just sitting passively. It's not always that they're engaged, and that that is such a huge difference. Um, that idea of actually getting people engaged, moving, talking, being creative, generative, instead of being passive. And so even just that, like that little, that little idea of changing how we interact so that it's generative and 
and experiential or, or interpersonal instead of just observing is such a huge mind shift. Um, yeah. I, I see in their life, like they are almost just observing all the time with TV, with activities and entertainment. Distraction. Um, just distraction. And, and it's boring. Yeah. It's, it's real boring. Also, it's safe. <laughs> And it, you can do it on reduced staffing, which is really the issue because ah, there's just no, st- it's staffing right yeah. now is horrible. And the, it's always been challenging because it's so underpaid, but um, now post pandemic, it's just terrible. And mm-hmm. so they're really struggling to find people. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the other part of the work that I I'll actually miss from leaving academia is the 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 you know young people have no exposure to older people in their lives that oftentimes they're they're disconnected from their grandparents or and they just don't have exposure and so the the cultural bias seeps in which is that work is depressing I don't want to do that work mm-hmm. um why would I ever want to go into this mm-hmm. and so to have been at UWM for 25 years, um, 20 years, and offering these classes where I teach people these totally hilarious, joyful, you know, they run their own sessions. They, I've had a program for almost eight, like maybe 10 years where students live in long-term care, they get room and board and um, they just discover this is awesome. People are mm-hmm. loving and hilarious. And I, I'm just there. It's just me in 50 years, you know, um, mm-hmm. that's it. So I think trying to encourage more people to go into it mm-hmm. um, and to go into it with, with that joyful lens, mm-hmm. it's not easy work. Mm-hmm. I've also heard people who go into working with young, young people to do, to help do good can, can be just when you start realizing that the systems are what keeps, you know, people's conditions rather than that that you individually can help do good. And then you watch them get ensnared in systems and it's just breaks your heart over and over Mm -hmm. again Mm -hmm. that it's no, you know, working with older adults is more, is more joyful than people think Mm -hmm. as well. So, um, Mm I think the other thing is the shift away from what was called the activity director um, toward, you know, I think that position might be called community builder, um, Mm -hmm. uh, life coach, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, really taking the framework of how do I build, help these people learn and grow and build community. Mm -hmm rather than I'm going to list all the TV channels they can watch in their room. Mm. But again, it, that that's exacerbated by the staffing shortage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So is Milwaukee doing this? Well, I mean, people from around the country come to all the places in Milwaukee to see this done because you've infiltrated everywhere in the city. Are we the, are we the <laughs> I epicenter? Wish. <laughs> I wish, you know, it's so vulnerable because you do training and then there's 175% staff turnover. Yeah. You know, so you yeah. you try to do something big enough that it sticks into institutional memory. Right. You know, like we did this was so heartbreaking. We did this massive, wonderful project called Wendy's Neverland. It was actually called I Won't Grow Up. And 
13, 12, 12 rural nursing homes across Kentucky. Mm. And we did these massive two-year projects where we reimagined the story of Peter Pan together and then staged three performances at three different care homes of an immersive and participatory performance that was magnificent. So, you know, similar emotional tone of Penelope and just incredible. And that was in the um, spring of 2019. And then we were helping them stage their own next one. We had a consultant that would go around and Nicole Garneau was so great um, and helped them pick the next story they wanted to retell and they were starting it. And then the pandemic swept mm. through and just besides, you know, the, the staff and residents who died, um, mm. the, the isolation and the despair, you know, I feel like we documented and we were still in institutional and actual memory, but it's really hard to come back from that. Um, so it was just, you know, it, that was hard to see such a high and such a low. Um, mm -hmm. And then to really spend time figuring how can you even start to get back to suggesting that that this is what is possible um, and what we should do. Mm -hmm. Is that another one of your projects for Georgia? <laughs> Number six. <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's some great infrastructure down there. Georgia State has a great gerontology institute. I know the people there have talked, given talks, and they've had me down before. And I feel like we'll just see. You know, my approach is always to come into a community and and look at the assets and see what's there to build on mm. and where I'm needed. So um I have a lot of discovery. I told, you know, it's so overwhelming to what's happening in preparation for the transition that I told Brad, he's like, are you excited? And I said, you know what? I'll be excited. The first morning I wake up, have my tea on the screened in porch and start to walk the neighborhood. That's, and then I'm not going to think about it before that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all about that goal, baby. Yeah. 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 Uh, so people listening in Milwaukee, if they're involved with care, caregiving of older adults or in either systematically, you know, like in a care facility or, personally, they can go to timeslips.org. Yep. Okay. Yep. To yep. get those resources you mentioned. Yeah. Um, how else do people stay in touch with you and your work? Um, and dash basting.com, which I don't know why, because I do own and basting.org. I don't know why it's and dash basting.com. <laughs> that. But that's what it is just as my personal website with all the projects. Okay. Slips is on there. Everything is there. Um, and then the memory cafe one, um, if you're just curious about it is I called it EMC squared, which is expanding memory cafes, enhancing meaningful connection. Cool. Um, mm. a little too proud of that acronym. <laughs> EMC squared project.org squared spelled yeah. out or squared no, with EMC two project.org. Okay. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we want to be mindful of your time, but we do have, well, here's the thing. We used to call them, we've always called them rapid fire. And every time we say that, we're like, oh, I hate that, that term. That's so violent, but we need another term. So could we borrow your beautiful <laughs> questions <laughs> and start calling oh, them beautiful go. questions? Rapid round. Rapid, rapid round. Rapid. Yeah. 
rapid um, beauty or quick <laughs> yeah the 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 flash round flash round yes <laughs> yeah um we just thought we'd ask you just a little bit about um as you're leaving Milwaukee some of your favorite things so um i guess overall what what's your favorite thing about the city uh, what i love about the city is we have real really deep structural challenges and that's not what I love about it. What I love about it is that you come up with an idea and you are two phone calls away from yes. It is it is trying and it is open to trying. Mm. And that doesn't happen everywhere. We yes. try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a great city motto. We try. <laughs> <laughs> two two phone calls from yes. And, oh, there we uh, go. That's better. Two phone calls from yes. That's been that's been a great thing. Yeah, yeah. I I have always said that since I lived here. Is it feels like a city where you can make a difference if you want to? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and the lake. I just mm-hmm. am obsessed with the lake. So mm-hmm. yeah. Is there water where you're going? Not much. No. <laughs> <laughs> my my cousin lived uh, from where we're going to be living. She was about 10 minutes away, but they, they just moved to New York, but they also have a house on Tybee Island, which is on the water. So mm. I'll get, I'll get to, I'll get to water. You'll have your fill somehow. I'll get to water. <laughs> and it's less about water than it is just about expanse, non-human expanse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what part of Milwaukee are you bringing with you? Um, I also think Milwaukee, Milwaukee's a funny mix of humility and pride. Like we'll, I feel like we'll talk to anybody, you know, we do that thing. I know that, you know, people were leery of me in New York because I'd make eye contact and I'm a Wisconsinite. I grew up here. Um, Oh, you did. Okay. I carry that with me and Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know if it's irritating, but when I run, I say hello to everybody, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think I'll, I'll, I'll for sure take that. Um, and that combination of friendly humility and connection mm. and what else, you know, a lot of neighbors and friends, but again, I said, I feel like I'm imagining kind of a constant flow of round trip tickets so that I don't actually know which leg I'm on. Am I in the first leg of the next one or the last <laughs> leg of the previous? You know, because I'm just be coming back so often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. If as you're leaving, if you're up giving your goodbye speech, um, who are you thanking? Who's been your biggest cheerleaders in the city? Um, early on, I think Beth Meyer Arnold, who ran the amazing. Luther Manor Adult Day Center, which was way ahead of its time in person-centered care, and who said yes to this crazy young artist person who had this idea and ran with it. Multiple times she said yes to crazy ideas that would come half-cocked out of my mouth, like just like, what? what are you saying? I didn't even know, but she, she said yes. And she was so supportive and there's just so many colleagues, you know, it's hard to pull anyone Mm -hmm. out, but just the, the fruitful ground of, 
you know, doing community engaged, creative engagement and participatory arts uh, is tremendous. Mm, awesome. Well, we uh, we also like to ask our guests who are dreamy, who are women in Milwaukee that you see doing really dreamy, beautiful work that we might invite to the show. I feel like at this point, you've, you've done a lot of the people um, <laughs> and I can't even, you know, I don't know because I haven't looked back at the backlog, but um, I am enchanted by the development work of Julie Kaufman. And I just love the work of Venus Williams. And, um, and, and then I think she's, she's nurturing a cohort of emerging folks as well. Yeah. Um, I'd have to give it some more thought, but yeah. there's, yeah. there's, there's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There, well, there are two episodes that came to mind for me as you talked one, and I just wanted to point these out to you. One is um, Vanessa of Madame Chino, who is a seamstress. Mm. Uh, she's an artist, an artist whose whose canvas is clothing, and who's very very interested in upcycling to save landfills from the contaminants of fabric. But one of the things she talked about was in order to be brave to live her dream of owning her own business that was um, fashion oriented, was to play the role of that person. You know, like step into the role and and play it. And that I loved that idea that like that keeps our pathways going when we can try on new roles, even when we're older, you know? Um, So that was a cool connection. And then um, Cheryl Kniesel, who does Meaningful Marks. Mm. um, It's a graphic note-taking business. She's an an art teacher in Tosa. um, But she, one of the, one of the projects that she's working on is this um, visualizing end of life issues. So using using graphic note-taking as a way to help caregivers and people who are facing end of life to understand the desires, wishes, hopes for people's last time on earth. Um, Beautiful. And then there's a bunch of applications in the medical world of graphic note-taking for supporting um, patients, doctors, caregivers, et cetera. So um, those two episodes might be fun ones for you to, to listen to if you don't know them already just thinking about the intersection of your work with the arts and medicine. Um, This has been such a joy. Yeah. So joyful. Yeah. And one of your return trips, I want to have coffee. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I'm, I'm, I'll be around. People will be like, wait, didn't you move? (laughs) I'll be at all the coffee. I said, I'll see you at all the coffee shops. Like, don't worry. I'll be back. I'll be back. Yeah. And I would encourage all of our listeners to get a hold of your book because it's it's a beautiful illustration of what we've been talking about uh, with all of the examples and the stories and the plays and the and part memoir, too. This is about you and and your journey through this um, as well. So thank you for sharing this hour with us. This has been uh, beautiful. And thank you for answering all the beautiful questions and and creating this for other people. This is making you know, just making the experience of life and humanity better for us all because we're all getting old. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all, it's, as they say, better than the alternative. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Privilege, you know, not everybody, that was something from the Wendy's Neverland Project. Not, not everyone gets to grow up and mm. we're lucky to do it.
holy smokes, Megan. I am so inspired by this conversation. Mm. I mean, I have older adults in my life, my parents and my um, mother-in-law and um, and then friends that are yeah. getting to that yeah. place. I, I think a lot of our friends were at that age where we're, what do they call us? The sandwich generation, right? We're taking care of our kids and our parents. I'm not yeah. there yet, but you know, it, it, it will, it will be there. It will be here. Um, yeah. I mean, even, but even just like friends who are experiencing pretty like devastating losses in their, in their physical and mental health or, you know, like cognitive health. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to know how to relate to people. It's, and I can totally see why you'd isolate. Yeah. And that that just exacerbates the problem. Yeah. So that radical idea that everybody should be included until the very end and community and joy and yes, creativity yes. and meaning making. Oh, it's just such a beautiful concept. So. Yeah. And we will um, post all the links to all the things we've talked about. I would highly encourage everyone to watch the videos of how. Um, she describes her work and the history and, and what went into a lot, all of these projects and the, the beauty of them, the Penelope project and the um, I Won't Grow Up or I'll Never mm-hmm. Grow Up project. Just so, so cool. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that they figure out a way to bring that back so that more people can experience this and the memory cafes and just all of the she has her fingers in so many pots and so many things that I think our listeners could jump on the bandwagon too. I mean, like she said, the training may not be open necessarily, but there is some free free resources available on her website. So if this is something that you're dealing with, um, with a loved one or a friend, check it out. Check it mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. So cool. And how do we encourage more kids to get into gerontology? You know, not kids, university students, you know, how yeah, do we well, make them not afraid? You know, what I was thinking about with that is um, at my daughter's school, there's a lot of service requirements. And one of the very like common service opportunities is to go to nursing homes and, and do arts and crafts or, you know, whatever. And I remember doing that in high school and always dreading it because I did. I felt so powerless to know how to connect. So to give those volunteers awesome activities to try with people, yeah. to tap into the that generative quality of like making meaning with people and and getting people engaged in a in a fun and playful creative way. Wow, that would really it would make those service experiences come to life for everybody. Yeah. So, oh gosh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about that as as one way, like just everybody feels more effective when they have the the tools <laughs> to do the thing that they're supposed to do, right? Mm. And often we go into those situations without any tools. And so, man, the fact that there's a toolkit out there. Yes, yeah, being given away think, with such generosity. I love oh, that. I love that. Too. I hope, I hope it, um, let's bust beyond 9,000. Let's get to like 90,000, 900,000, you know, 9 million. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, Megan, which book did you read? There's a couple books, so I'm curious which one you read and you'd recommend. Yeah, I read Creative Care, A Revolutionary Approach to Dementia and Elder Care, which je- what's helpful is at the end of every chapter, it has how you can do this at home. So it talks about the tool um, and how to use it and then gives notes for caregivers. So it's super helpful. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. And you get to know a little bit about Anne as well. And she talks about her own experience with her mother. And so it's sort of part memoir, part guide. So yeah, it was it was a beautiful book. If this conversation interested you and you want to know more, I would highly recommend getting that or get it for somebody you love. If you know somebody who is taking care of 
of elders right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and like like she said, even if taking care of elders isn't your thing right now, this is a little bit about being a little more human with each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. asking better questions, being playful. I love that joy is a framework. Put that on a bumper sticker, baby. That you know. <laughs> yes. Ooh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so good so thanks to ann for joining us and listeners this is a wrap for season four of interviews megan and i are gonna be back next week yeah but what a way to go out man Ooh. ending with ann basting what a powerhouse thank you ann thank you for this beautiful conversation thank you for your work and tune in next week until then though milwaukee Keep on dreaming. Keep on dreaming. Okay, Milwaukee. Guess what? (laughs) We are spending more money than we have earned via our podcast by getting new music and buying swag. Can you help us out? This is a labor of love, listeners. We do this because we love it. And we also love coffee. (laughs) We do love coffee. And actually, we don't really use the coffee money for coffee, but it's easier to ask for coffee than it is to ask for money. So will you give us coffee? Would you buy us a cup? If you like our podcast, click the link in our show notes. Or share this with other people. We love that too. Especially rich uncles. Or aunts. I should really stop saying rich uncles. Rich aunts, baby. That's who we want supporting the pod. I mean, uncles are okay, too. (laughs) We also love reviews. So leave us a review. If you like the podcast, if you love these women, share it, like us, leave us a review. What's your coffee order, Megan? Half-calf, please. I've had too much already. I had a new one that I'm obsessed with, a Shakerado, which I totally thought was a McDonald's drive through order. It's apparently like a fancy Italian shaken espresso with sugar, and it's amazing. Wow. I had it at Vendetta Coffee Bar. So if anybody wants to buy me one of those or 10, I'm in. Boom. <laughs> haven't dropped a boom in a while. Oh, I have some fiber for that. <laughs> I entertain us. <laughs> okay, friends, and that's a wrap. <laughs> 